in this day and age, independent creators and artists online need to be, you know, they need to be the producers. They need to be the marketing team. They need to be. And luckily we can do that all from our phone. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, it does take a certain mindset to be able to just kind of push through that and, uh, you know, not worry about it too much. Welcome back to the Corner Talks podcast. I have my good friend here. How's it going, man? Happy to be back. No, it shouldn't be about anything. Like this is one life. One life? Like fucking do it. My guy. She just got it. She totally understood it. 20 years old when I started just watching a lot of movies. How it, and it tells a story. I want to tell a story. Talented writer and director, Joe Biggioni. What's going on, buddy? How are you? Doing well. Thank you for having me on. Of course, man. Yeah. Thank you so much for being on. Um, it's a true uh, honor to have you as a guest because... I remember uh, connecting with my mutual friend, a talented film producer, uh, Eric Tomjay, uh, who highly recommended to speak with you about your remarkable filmmaking career. Yeah, Eric. Uh, Eric is a great dude. We've uh, we actually met um, on the interview for film school, um, nice. and so we've known each other since uh, you know before we both got in, and uh, you know we both have kind of similar tastes and kind of gravitated towards working with each other. So yeah, he's a great awesome. dude and hard worker. Yeah, extremely hard worker. That's why I admire about him. And then we uh, met at a networking event um, years back, uh, just before the pandemic kind of thing. So we exchanged each other's Instagrams. And we've just been keeping in touch ever since. Uh, So when I developed uh, and pursued this creative venture, this podcast, (laughs) I kind of like forced him in a way to uh, be one of my first guests. But uh, being a good sport that he is, he um, agreed to doing it. And the rest is history, right? So shout out to Eric Tomjay. Thank you again for connecting us. And uh, yeah, I'm really excited to be speaking with you as I am with any creative, right? Um, This is why I have this platform to discuss with uh, filmmakers like yourself about your journeys, your experiences, and uh, current projects um, that you've either uh, completed or will be completing in the coming years. Um, From from, uh, my frequent uh, conversations uh, with Eric, uh, he informed me uh, that he had the incredible honor of producing a heist comedy short film that you wrote and directed called The Only Way Out Is Down. And as I began to further inquire about the film on social media, I quickly understood and appreciated uh, the undertaking of this project. Um, so there's a lot of familiar faces too, I should mention you all there, um, like uh, Alana and um, Spanier, is that his name? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So they've actually appeared on the Corner Talks podcast, so shout out to them. But uh, yeah, that's amazing that you guys are all um, still working together, still collaborating. That's something that is reminiscent of my uh, filmmaking career, uh, keeping those that I trust uh, that are, uh, like-minded, you know, um, around me and, um, making the best project possible. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we had a great team, uh, come together to make this project, uh, Brandon Kenny, who has also been a guest on your podcast, shot the project. Yes. Um, yes. and so it was, a you know, a great little family that we were able to create and that's the best way to make these things. Yeah. That's what it's all about. Right. I always say creativity is a fine balance. So you can't have mm-hmm. anyone, uh, disturb it or uh interfere with that because at any moment it could all go haywire right so uh keep those that you trust (laughs) very close to you um especially if they're talented so great uh great mindset that we both have um so going back to the only way out is down very interesting title i want to understand how would you best describe this short film yeah so um the only way out is down is a it's a heist comedy uh, following a political staffer who has betrayed his congressman Mm -hmm. um and is tasked with sabotaging a fundraising event to showcase his new allegiance 
Um, so yeah, I've been kind of developing this project slowly over probably two years before we kind of really started shooting. Um, it's a genre that I've been wanting to play in for a while. And uh, so, you know, when I started to develop the script, um, this just kind of felt, you know, in the, as we were getting out of COVID, right. um, you know, and, and restrictions were lifting a little bit and, you know, we were able to have a few more people in a room. Mm -hmm. um, this kind of felt like the scale of project that I wanted to uh, attempt next. So, yeah. That's awesome. That's great to hear. Um, and I love that uh, you tackled the genre of comedy. I don't think I've ever full out tackled comedy. I've always described my films as dramedies, more um, leaning towards drama or thrillers, uh, subgenres, and, and whatever have you. But the fact that you went in for a comedy, uh, that's great. Do you identify as a comedic director or do you aspire to be one? Uh, well, I mean, I don't know if I would say that I'm a straight comedy kind okay. of guy. I, I definitely love comedy in films. I would right. say that I definitely would like to, I love to inject humor into any idea that I am kind of creating. Um, and I think that, you know, uh, the irony and the, the comedic irony can usually, um, even if it is a very dramatic piece, uh, you know, deepen a lot of the character and a lot of the uh, theme, if you have that hint of comedy. Um, you know, I find that some films that are, you know, just drama can kind of come off as dry of course, um, yeah. because, you know, humanity and our experiences, they have, you know, hints of comedy, hints of darkness, hints of drama. So it's nice to be able to capture, capture all of that. No, it's uh, so well said. Um, and I'm, I'm so glad you've observed that as a filmmaker, because for myself, um, just uh, from my perception of film, the ones that, you know, like you said, don't inject uh, some sort of comedy, uh, whether it's dark, cynical, um, any kind of uh, related to that genre, um, or if there's no like, you know, love or romance um, that's uh, in comedy, uh, I mean, in film, uh, rather. For me, that just lacks humanity. You know, it's not real. It doesn't really help you um, resonate with the characters. Um, and interesting enough, you know, you have the Star Wars poster behind you. Um, you know, in Star Wars, the original trilogy, lots, lots of romance. But I remember um, a lot of film uh, critics uh, on the Internet, YouTubers that I follow that actually helped shape and define my career with their commentary. One of them, uh, Red Letter Media, shout out to them. They said something kind of like blatantly where the prequel trilogy, as good as they are. Um, oh, sorry, I, I should say the sequel trilogy, the Disney trilogy, as good as, um, you know, the, the saga is as a whole. The reason part of the reason why the the Disney trilogy um, suffers is because it lacks sex, <laughs> for lack of a better word. And when he what he means by that is there's no uh, humanity to it. There's no like these people don't feel like they're flesh and blood. You know what I mean? Like they they have a chemistry with one another, and there's no romance, right? And again, he's very provocative channel, like the way that he speaks. But there's truth to it, you know. In, in these films that we make there needs to be some sort of chemistry with the characters. It doesn't always have to be romantic. It could be platonic, right? It doesn't always have to be sensual or sexual or anything like that in that nature, but there needs to feel that we, we need to express as directors um, and writers that these characters uh, are people that you could meet on the street. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. I think like, you know, this film is, is a genre film and Star Wars also in the sci-fi genre. I definitely love, love genre films. And I think, the ones that kind of set themselves apart are the ones with that heartbeat, right? So yeah. um, whether that be a romantic tale or one of brotherhood or one of just, you know, finding yourself like a coming of age story, um, 
you know, having either a heartbeat in the filmmaking or a heartbeat in the characters, those are the things that audiences kind of latch onto and ride for the uh, the length of the story. So That's yeah, awesome. with this with this film, um, the heartbeat of it was kind of this um, coworker rivalry um, between you know Ez's character and Alana's character, who are Patrick and Gwen, and right. so you know that was kind of. That was kind of the thing that tied it all together is, you know, giving that force of antagonism, having our protagonist, you know, have someone identifiable to go up against. Yeah. So going back to the film, right, and how it relates to the, the subject matter of politics, I want to know, like, why was this story important uh, for you to tell? Yeah. So, I mean, this I started developing this mainly out of kind of the opening image of the film. Um, okay. I've had that in my kind of back pocket or in my notes or in my, you know, empty Google docs Love it. Yeah. Um, for, for years. And then, you know, I, I really was sitting around and waiting for, you know, a, an idea to come into my head and, and it was just kind of like not happening. I'm sure lots of writers have, have had that where you're yeah, just of kind of like in the desert and not yeah. finding any water. Um, and so I just kind of like kept pushing that idea further. And it was it was going to be a tech company that they were sneaking into. It was going to be uh, an art gallery. And then it kind of right. became, um, you know, a different thing. And it kind of found its its voice. Um, and, you know, that was just time to to find that. So, you know, this is this film doesn't really have a political agenda. Um, OK, you know, was... the politics are very much in the in the background of it. Right. Um, but, you know, I just wanted a kind of landscape that was dynamic and had a lot of varying characters, um, nice. both in ages, in, you know, social settings, in all of that. And I think that this kind of setting was able to lend itself to that. Yeah, of course. Um, and I love that you picked out how the opening scene for yourself, like, was the inspiration, like, kind of like the spark that really pulled you back uh, into the story. And that's what you do as writers, right? We we ask questions and we're constantly observing as to why um that scenario would take place right and we have to justify it through course through the the sequence of events that follow after or before <laughs> whatever have you exactly, right um, exactly but uh the reason why i smile when you say that is because that's with me right it's like whether it's a scene a character even a line or a, a title that i like sometimes i'll think of a title for a movie and i'll be like i want that to happen how does that how what, what's a story that would best uh fit you know and um, it's just amazing, like the minds of a writer, you know, like how we um, cultivate these ideas um, from nothing, really. And I like that you said, you know, you weren't finding anything rich, you weren't um, anything of substance, I mean. And, you know, you just kind of kept going at it, kept going at it. And then eventually, like, there was like that flow. Um, because as writers, uh, for myself, that is, I got really hard on myself. And I'm saying, like, you know, is there a reason why I can't... Um, you know, find that uh, creative flow process. Um, but I think that's what happens to the best of us, right? Is the writing block. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. I'm definitely one to kind of like wait around for that inspiration to strike. Right. Um, and, you know, with the, the pandemic happening and not being able to make films, I kind of found myself just kind of sitting in that stasis. Um, and the only way to really get out of it for me was to just like, start my starting is always the hardest part for me yeah. um because once i do start putting in the hours i get that momentum it's very much like a snowball rolling down a hill um but you know first you gotta you gotta pack the snow together so you know i i really just ran with that opening image um and kind of then page two and then page three and and then next thing i know there was a first draft and 
you know, it's, it's all about, you know, you got to manufacture that momentum. Um, I only, I do have a gym membership. I don't go that often, but writing is very much like working out where you got to keep, yeah. you got to keep working, you got to keep building that muscle. You got to yeah. keep, yeah, exactly. You know, the first time when you go back to the gym, it hurts like a bitch oh, yeah. on the day after, <laughs> yeah. but if you keep going, it, it hurts less and less and, you know, you start to see results. So, yeah, I'm so happy you mentioned that, uh, that analogy about, uh, writing and going to the gym. Um, because part of the reason why I do this podcast and I write these questions and these captions and things like that is because, um, that's my, like, you know, um, exercise and, mm-hmm. um, you know, I'm not writing a full out screenplay at the moment, but I've written feature length screenplays and, you know, throughout my twenties and I've done a, a bunch of short films and, uh, that's what it is, right? People don't realize, like they say to me, how, how did you write 180 pages? <laughs> I'm like, it's just repetition. It's waking up every morning and saying, I'm going to write three pages. And I don't know about you, if you have a rule or a benchmark, I know everyone's different. I know Stephen King does like eight hours and he just writes a bunch, even if it doesn't make sense. Um, I know like Spike Lee also has that uh, similar method. Um, But for myself, what I found is no matter how much time it takes, unless you can only leave the desk or like be done for the day, I mean, um, unless you've written three pages and it's worked for me like that is exciting because it's like, it's only three pages. I can kill it. I can do it. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's manageable. It's doable. A lot of people, they see it as a daunting task. When they look at the blank page, they think, oh, okay, you got to finish 120 pages in the next three weeks. Yes, there's deadlines, but especially if you're writing creatively on your own, as you and I both uh, can relate, just give yourself that deadline, the three, three pages a day um, or yeah. whatever method works for you. And you'll be on your way. So I, I, I'm, I'm happy we have a very similar attitude towards it. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm currently on the third draft of a feature film script that nice. I've been writing and um, it's a very big rework from the first two. And, you know, it's, it's taken me a while to get into the mindset of digging into that third draft because, you know, it is such a big thing. It is such a daunting task. It is like one whole large you know, nondescript thing. And, um, you know, I'm a big structure guy when it comes to writing. And so that has helped me, you know, actually do the work is is breaking it down into acts, then breaking those down acts into scenes. And, you know, it sounds, it sounds simple, but it's just, it is a mindset thing of, you know, I either need to write the third draft of this whole big script or, you can look at it as I just need to write this scene. And then after that scene's done, you got to write this next scene. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's all about like small wins, you know, dividing up your work. You know, yeah. that's it's very important. Yeah. Music also serves as a for me, that is um, like critical inspiration. You know, like mm-hmm. whenever I'm in a writer's block or also whenever I'm, um, you know, not feeling inspired or motivated to write, uh, there's always a track. I call it the anthem that um, kind of helps me to embody like um i associate it the most with the film or that's it's like identity if that makes sense and the films that i've aspired to write in my head and the films that i've been writing now there are songs at the gym that i listen to or whenever i'm not writing them they just it keeps it alive for me like they're real other than the challenges of writing um the biggest challenge a lot of filmmakers have is when it actually comes to the production itself and i noticed you mentioned that in an article which we'll discuss shortly but I want to know before that, uh, what challenges have you learned from this project that you've changed uh, your mindset toward filmmaking? Yeah, I, I, this was definitely like the most ambitious project um, I've undertaken. Um, And, you know, it was, I I didn't want to do something smaller, um, Mm -hmm. you know, whether that be a, a, 
bad decision or not, you know, luckily it's worked out so far. Um, but, you know, I think the, the biggest thing that I learned when taking on, you know, this is still a short film, but something of this scale, I was working with more people than I'd ever worked with. You know, I, the right. script was longer than I'd ever made for a short, um, was just making sure that vision was clear and communication was clear. Yes. Um, you know, you, you talk about music, you know, I definitely, love to use music as a source of inspiration and a source of just like tonal consistency. Um, so, you know, we, I had curated a playlist of scores that I had listened to while I was doing pre-production and doing some writing. And so those went off to actors, those went off to producers, cinematographers, like all of that was part of the the package um, to just help, help clarify my vision and, you know, make sure that we were all on the same page. Um, and I think that was definitely helpful because, you know, I was able to cut things together, you know, pretty easily because things came together as I had imagined them. And I think that doesn't really happen unless you have the planning, the time for planning, the time for conversation before you get into, you know, the belly of the beast of production, because there's so much going on on set um, that making sure that you guys have clear goals and a clear plan. Um, that was definitely the most helpful aspect. Yeah, that's great to hear. And I'm so happy that you made it an inclusive experience for everybody on board. Um, that's what we're, we do as directors, right? We're leaders essentially of the project. And one of the biggest compliments uh, that someone uh, informed me about was, you know, I felt as if you were in control uh, of the set. And for me, we, we had, we aspire to do that. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. that's, that's everything that uh, we work towards um, in, in contributing for the project and making sure everybody has that space to be creative. So I love that you like, you know, incorporated the music with everybody and made them feel like, you know, the tonal consistency, like this is why we're here. This is what we're trying to achieve. Um, the vision is there. The vision is clear. Mm -hmm. um, so I really, I really admire that about you. So upon researching your upcoming short film, The Only Way Out is Down, uh, I came across an insightful article from York Region, uh, where I currently reside. <laughs> so I thought that was really cool. And it documents your illustrious journey in pursuing this creative endeavor. Um, and a significant takeaway from the article is the respect and admiration you and your team had for small businesses across the city of Markham. Um, they assisted in the completion of the project. And I want to know from you, like, how did the people of Markham serve such a vital role in its film's production? Yeah, so it was um, it was it was lots of different aspects that we were able to kind of get assistance. Um, you know, when you're making a project that you know, on such a, a tight budget and on, you know, the, the constraints and time constraints and all of that, right. um, you know, it came down to, you know, writing for, you know, resources that I had access to, or even if I didn't have direct access, like, oh, I know a person who knows a person and all of that. So um, when we were, you know, writing this film, it was very much like, it was mostly locations that we got um, help with. So, you know, the, you know, there's an alleyway that we begin and end the film in. And, yep. you know, I didn't really have an alleyway in mind. And then I was driving around Markham and, you know, I went to this Italian bakery that I've gone to for like 10 years. And, you know, <laughs> nice. just, I ended up driving around the back and I'm like, oh, this would work perfectly. And so talked to the owner, they were very helpful. And, you know, it was, 
you know, filmmaking is a team sport. It's a of community, course. it's all of that. And so um, we really wanted to kind of highlight that in our film and, you know, keep things, you know, contained. And, um, you know, so that was, that was very helpful. The, the golf course that we were able to shoot at, that was just right. through a connection that we had, you know, I, I wrote bank banquet hall in the script and then nice. realized that I actually had to follow through on that. <laughs> um, and, you know, figuring that out was definitely a challenge, but yeah. You know, we we were able to make this film feel as big as it is, but for as small as we made it because of those connections and because, you know, Eric and I, you know, really went hard on the producing and making sure that, you know, schedules were tight and, you know, um, relationships with those locations were good and all of that. So, yeah, for sure. You said it right there. Right. And that, that all comes down to the, the magic of filmmaking, uh, making something that seems uh, grander in, in reality was actually at a very tight, uh, small budget. You know, the glory of independent filmmaking, I should say, <laughs> I would know exactly um, because when you watch my films as well, or like when people have commented, they'd be like, oh, that's amazing that you shot it here. Or you shot it there. And in reality, it was just because a favor was owed or someone knew someone uh like you said you walked in and you asked the owner can i use the back alley <laughs> you know what i mean nothing crazy like with permits or anything like that um but yeah no for sure it really just comes down to like the budget like with the banquet hall right like i'm sure you can pay for that um you know room uh that area but it depends on like how much you're willing to spend right because it can it can get pretty pricey um, if we if we didn't have that connection, we would have used our whole budget just to pay for that location. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. And so, you know, yeah. it really came down to if we need to make this film, we need to make it smart and we need to make it, you know, with we need to pull favors. Right. Indie filmmaking is is pulling favors and then saying thank you. Um, and so, yeah. you know, we really wanted to keep that philosophy and, you know, we couldn't have made this project without without that mindset. Yeah, interesting enough, when I was reading the article, um, and just like hearing your story now on the podcast, I'm surprised, like downtown Toronto wasn't an option, or maybe it was, because uh, you shot this entire thing in Markham, through the connection. Yeah, right? we, yeah. I mean, I, I love downtown, but it yeah. was more like getting our crew down there, like the main thing was really, um, you know, you talk about we talk about community and who helped out, like, right we needed extras to fill this banquet hall. And the way to do that was to ask friends and family. Yeah. And all of those friends and family are located in York region. Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> it was kind of all like, all of this was the problem solving that we did in the prep, right? right. Is understanding how many extras would we need. There's no way we're getting all of those people downtown. So that brings us back home right so that was that was really what drew us back to markham is that we had the most amount of resources there we had the most amount of help you know um i had family bring in food for catering we had everyone come in as extras you know we wouldn't have had that or at least as many of those people if we were you know in the heart of downtown you know just thinking that we were making a film that was bigger than it is you know yeah for sure i was just gonna say if you're an italian director you better be the one providing the catering right yes absolutely <laughs> is absolutely. that part of the conditions yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> reminds me of goodfellas when he uh scorsese had his mom on set um and she like basically did, provided all the craft services like she exactly provided yeah. all the food so that's a given i love that uh, for those of you that don't know, we are both Italian, so that's why we make yes, that joke. <laughs> exactly. But I love that, man. No, I I love that. Uh, it, it felt like a sense of community, you know, just watch, mm -hmm. just seeing the stills, because I believe you posted that recently and um, reading the article. I, I love that you got everyone on board and for everyone being a great sport, you know, like um, 
I shot a film myself, you know, with my Italian cousins and it's just very hard to manage and they were on board, like everyone understood, but they were also visiting um, from Italy. <laughs> so it's very hard to like kind of convince everybody like how mm -hmm. the end product's going to look. Only you can see it as a director. Mm -hmm. My point being is that getting them to take, taking them away, they were only here two weeks, get, taking them away from their family to do some shoots for like two, three hours at my house, then at the field, then at this, you know, they were starting to ask questions like, hey, like they're only here for so long, right? The talent mm -hmm. was on board, the two brothers, but everybody, you know, rightfully so was like, you know, let them have a vacation, let them enjoy themselves. They see the end product, they see the project. Everybody was in glory. Everyone was elated. Like, oh my God, you put this together. This is amazing. It was such a beautiful, we couldn't believe it was going to be this good. And my point is, is that that's a director, like seeing their vision all the way through, which is what you've done with getting the banquet hall, getting all those connections in order um, and being practical with locations, right? And not trying to like finesse anyone and trying to make it seem bigger than what it is. Um, because that's what the magic of filmmaking is all about is, is, uh, telling the audience, like what you want them to perceive. Um, so that's really cool, man. Uh, uh I, I commend you both. Um, how, so what impact, uh, did this article have on your profession, uh, as a filmmaker or your brand, I should say? I mean, yeah, it's, it's always good. I find that artists, this is a generalization, Yeah, for sure. Um, but a lot of artists are kind of not great at going to bat for themselves or promoting themselves there and I'm definitely I definitely fall into that <laughs> camp of yeah, yeah. you know not sharing too much and you know I'd rather just post when I need to and all of that so um, yep. having an outlet you know shine light on what we're doing and um, you know kind of getting the word out there uh, more than I could is is definitely beneficial you know it's um, how people find out about more projects you know I've I had, you know, Italians, my nonna yeah. um, is in yeah. this retirement community and nice. the article was in the paper and she just, she heard, she didn't even know it was in the paper, but she heard a knock on the door and that's awesome. know, one of her neighbors was like, oh, your grandson is in the paper. Like, so it's, it's very nice to, you know, have that outlet and, um, you know, have more people hear about the film that way. No, that's awesome. Yeah. Like, uh, no, uh, any publicity is not bad publicity, right? As they say, I might be butchering that line, but essentially that uh, we live in a world, a digital age where um, everything is all about attention. Um, and there's obviously positive and negative attention. <laughs> but the reality is, is we need to uh, accumulate as much attention as we can as filmmakers for our, our content. Because as you know, like the content is just saturated. There's like everywhere. Um, so any source of, you know, media outlet, um, or news article or, um, you know, attention given uh, to our content is necessary, right? Um, so I don't know about yourself, like you were mentioning uh, that aspect of having the, you know, humility to not, uh, you know, be kind of like the center of attention and, and uh, showcase your work and and just you kind of want, if it's out there, if it's discovered, then, then so be it, right? And I kind of had that same mindset um, because all my life I was very reserved, I was very recluse. Um, to be honest, I always imagine myself, like I just put out these films and then people will find me. <laughs> it's kind of like, oh shit, like this guy did. But the reality is, again, um, I realized how competitive it was increasingly getting, um, with social media becoming more sophisticated. And this is why what I'm saying, I developed a podcast, for instance, um, I would never thought I would be on camera, you know, with a microphone, inviting guests, talking, having a conversation and then posting about it, you know, like watch my podcast. Um, mm. but the reality is, again, is I wanted to, you know, create this community. I want to create this platform, um, but also this traffic, uh, towards, um, you know, what I can 
what I'm capable of as a creative um, of myself and 94 productions. So I understand, you know, the, the, the struggle. Yeah. That, but I commend you what I'm saying uh, that y- you understand and appreciate uh, the value in having that exposure. Um, and you don't shy away from it because I think it's so critical for us uh, young directors uh, to embrace that notion. Yeah. I, in this day and age, independent creators and artists online need to be, you know, they need to be the producers. They need to be the marketing team. They need to be, and luckily we can do that all from our phone. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, it does take a certain mindset to be able to just kind of push through that and, uh, you know, not worry about it too much. I'm always worrying about anything that I post. And so it just takes that extra step to get me um, to hit that button. But yeah. No, no, for sure. And that's what I'm saying is like those steps of, let's say again, posting stills of your film, right? Or um, this article that you're featured in. Those are just small steps. Um, mm-hmm. But the fact that you took them is far greater than the ones that refuse to be, you know what I mean? Written in an yeah. article, you know what I mean? Yeah, because, uh, yeah, no, I, 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 again, I'm speaking from experience. Like um, it seems easy now. Look at me like telling you like make a podcast, <laughs> but I'm not one of those guys, right? It's like, I understand that it's going to take a process and um, you have to go at your own pace and your own volition. So the fact that you have the mindset um, and you're aware that it's important is what is what matters. All the, everything else will fall into place. So you got that. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Perfect. So I want to know from you, like, why is it imperative for filmmakers like yourself to be given platforms or media outlets that highlight their careers uh, and promote their projects? I know we were, you know, kind of touching on that with uh having you know the the courage or you know the mindset again to to have that exposure on on social media but do you feel like oftentimes like it's it's highly necessary especially with this upcoming project yeah i mean you know when we're when we're talking about social media when we're talking about kind of getting word out there yeah. um we're in a day and age where everything is just so saturated with like things to look at. You can look right. at Instagram posts, Twitter posts, YouTube videos, TikTok videos, all of that. And so, right. you know, when we're talking about getting word out there, it is it is very easy to to just like miss things. And, you know, having platforms feature your work and your journey um, is just kind of giving that boost to, you know, your creativity and your community. Right. So, you know, I think it's I think it's valuable to share you know, the work of independent artists, because, you know, there, it helps, you know, propel their message. Um, and it, it helps, you know, hopefully lead to other projects for those artists. So exactly, they get to cre- yeah. keep creating, they get to keep producing and all that. And, uh, you know, they get a little boost. So that's, it's definitely beneficial. Yeah, I like what you said. And that's, that's what it is. I know it sounds kind of like self uh, selfish and self gratifying. But the reality is, is, um, just having those like uh, markers of progress uh, by having people like yourself or Eric, Tom J, people I have no association with, I didn't grow up with, they don't owe me anything. <laughs> Tell me, oh, I like your your content or, uh, you know, I like your films or this was inspiring to me. Um, I'd be dishonest to say that it wasn't, uh, that recognition didn't really like help me. You know what I mean? Like kind of encourage me, like I'm on the right track because at the end of the day, like we're in a profession where we're, pursuing a medium and an art form where we require the market to respond to our work. You know what I mean? It's, it's not like, yeah. you know what I mean? Where we work at a lighthouse, like we need people to like our work in order to, someone's got to watch the movies. Yeah. Someone's got to watch the film. Like you can't <laughs> yeah. just come on here and be like, 
yeah, man, if you like it, you like it. And that's it. It's like, well, yeah. you better pray a good majority like it because you need to make the next one. <laughs> you know what I mean? Absolutely. It's a business yeah, at I, the end of the day, right? Like with anything. Exactly. And I'm I'm definitely hoping to make movies for an audience, right? Like right, this, right. this film being a heist comedy, you know, that that is like this project was one step towards what I hope to be doing in the future. Exactly. Um, you know, it was, you know, let's, let's make a movie that, you know, everyone can have fun making and then have fun watching. You know, I've been very blessed that all of the crew is, you know, really looking forward to seeing the project. It puts a little pressure on me, but I'd rather, I'd rather the pressure than people, you know, not wanting to see it. So, um, you know, that's, it's great to hear. Yeah, of course. No. And, 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 uh, that kind of leads me into my next, uh, question that I wanted to ask you, because, um, this is what I mean by as filmmakers, we eventually grow and evolve, evolve. And we ask ourselves the next question, like we can only be doing short films for so long, right? Um, like what's next. And that's actually, um, at a point in my career, um, when I, where I'm encountering, I did a bunch of these short films and it's like, I could be, keep, I could keep doing them, which I will, you know, there's, there's obviously these projects are, you know, even recently someone reached out to me on social media, like, Hey, I'd love for you to direct a short film, but eventually I really want to make my features as do you. Um, so a notable observation I made from when viewing your social media profile is the cheeky and aspirational sentence, hoped, hoping to make tall films one day. Um, so any filmmaker who reads or hears such a line will immediately resonate with its universal meaning that we're all working toward uh, we're all working on short films with a desire uh, toward making feature films. What do you believe is the best approach in developing and executing on a feature film project? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think that there is there is immense value to creating uh, short films. Okay, um, It is a great kind of like testing ground for new techniques, new skills. And, you know, in this case with this film, you know, new territory in terms of ambition of scale. Yeah. Um, you know, so I, I definitely think that that is a valuable uh, resource in terms of like the way that we can push things out and try things. Um, you know, that doesn't mean that I don't want to make, you know, tall films or, or feature <laughs> films, you know, yeah, yeah. I definitely do. Um, and I think like, for for independent filmmakers i mean it's this project was like it was a it was it showed me that all of those people saying those like sentences that you hear all the time of like you know you got to use the resources that you know and you got to you know keep it contained like all of those people even if you don't want to believe them are correct you know yeah. the making films with resources that you have available to you with a team that is you know along for the ride um for you know the the non-glamorous movie making of independent filmmaking yeah. and you know understanding where you can push harder and then where to stop so you don't spread yourself too thin yeah you know we were talking about you know i really wanted this film to feel like a feature film without having to go too far and like actually you know you know, go stretch ourselves too thin like i just said so yeah you know we we have you know one scene with a banquet hall with lots of extras and that was friends and family but you know i made sure that we could shoot them out in one day so that you know, we get that sense of scale, that sense of a world um, without having to, you know, bring everyone back and schedule all these people for like, like, that is the thing that we learned, you know, um, 
So it's it's understanding your resources. It's understanding where you can push, where you can stop, what your strengths are. Um, you know, I love you know, making use of a location with camera movement. So we wanted to make sure that we had a lot of space in our locations to kind of show them off. Um, of course, so we yeah. could take, we could take a more basic location and, you know, throw the camera everywhere and, you know, really push the level of filmmaking to, you know, feel bigger than, you know, what we had available to us. Yeah, no, that's that's uh, well said. And I'm so happy that you were mentioning about like short films um, and the value they can provide. And it's not something to be easily dismissed. You know, uh, it's incredible value for filmmakers like ourselves who um, are are growing, you know, uh, aspiring to be make this a, a full time career, um, a career that uh, we can make money off of. Um, mm -hmm. For me, uh, short films have allowed me the opportunity to find my voice as a director, um, work with the people that I want to work with. Um, and more importantly, just uh, be comfortable in the role. Um, I think uh, too many of us, uh, I know I'm guilty of this, wanted to just jump in and say, I'm a director. And while that's great, because I manifested that and I had to assume that role or else no one was going to do it for me. There was a lot of challenges because director is like the pinnacle, like the leader. And you know how it is. Like a lot of people feel compelled that they need to direct. They don't realize it's its own craft on its own. Like it's not just anyone can direct. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like you really have to be a leader and a visionary and see everything all the way through and um, understand every aspect of, of the filmmaking process. But nevertheless, you know, um, I think that's what it taught me, you know, working with a lot of individuals and uh, being surrounded by uh, talented people is I enjoy the delegation. I enjoy being the visionary and I enjoy being the director. And I credit that to uh, making short films, you know, and I always say, you know, the 18-year-old self, when I wrote my first feature-length screenplay, like one of my many passion projects that I've written, um, thought in his deluded sense that I would be uh, directing that feature film right away. Uh, like that would be my first project, my directorial debut. And as I navigate the industry, you start to understand when you come across again with people like yourself that uh, you got to you gotta have something to show for until you get to that level. Um, and, and this is where it starts with short films. So not to discredit them, you know, that, that they've uh, served a lot for us. Um, but again, uh, feature films uh, are, are on the radar. They come at a point when you start to say you need to evolve, you need to elevate your career as a filmmaker. And um, I like what you said where the films that you do have, like they are presented with, the budget you're given, that is, you still treat it like a feature. Um, you don't kind of reduce uh, or dilute any of the quality um, for the sake of because, oh, I couldn't, I didn't have the money to do it. It's like, no, let me use my creative prowess and like do everything I can to get to that point, you know, yeah, to make it look cinematic. Yeah, absolutely. At this scale, it's, it's about creative filmic problem solving, yeah. right? So um, it's about, you know, making sure that you're able to make, you know, 20 extras feel like 40. Um, it's <laughs> being able to make, you know, one location feel like we got, we have one hallway in here that I yep. hope feels like three hallways. Um, you know, it was really just kind of stretching things as far as we can go without, yep. you know, without having the rubber band snap. Um, and, you know, hopefully we can kind of keep doing that on short films and then that skill set, you know, I think like if people are able to do that on short films and kind of take their you know stretch their dollar stretch their their you know movie to the to the as far as it can go um you're able that's a skill set that does not just relate to low budget films right like if you are given 
the blank check of, yeah. you know, make the dream project and you have the support of the studio, like they're going to appreciate how far you can take that dollar, how far you can take that scene, how far you can stretch things. Um, it's not just uh, it's not just a talent for for ind independent filmmakers, but it's a valuable talent for independent filmmakers. That's amazing, man. And on that note, I really have to say thank you so much for coming on to the podcast uh, and explaining, you know, not only your your journey, your experiences as a filmmaker, but this uh, incredible film that I am um, highly anticipating. The Only Way Out is Down, uh, produced uh, by yourself and Eric Tomjay. Uh, shout out to him again for connecting me with you. Uh, I really have to say, like, you're an intelligent guy. Uh, you're sharp and um, you got a lot going for you. So I'm really excited uh, what you're going to be creating in the near future. Yeah, thank you for having me on the podcast. I'm this is my first podcast appearance, and uh, I'm I'm happy to chat with you. And hopefully, we can do it again. That's awesome. Yeah, of course we can. And uh, looking forward to connecting and possibly collaborating in in the future as well. So, uh, thank you again, Joe Bigioni, for coming on the podcast. Thank you everybody else for listening, and we'll talk soon.